Hello, I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond about their life in the theatre and how they got to be where they are now. And my guest backstage in this podcast is Tim McHugh. He's an Australian cabaret legend who's been performing here in Australia and internationally for many years in London's Piccadilly Circus, Berlin, Hamburg, Cologne, Amsterdam, Shanghai. He's one of the vanguard artists from the mid-70s who pioneered contemporary cabaret. He's touted as the grand old master, man, (laughs) old master of Melbourne cabaret and once described by Vogue magazine as the enfant terrible of the theatrical world. He's taken his Noel Coward show all over the world and he's coming to Sydney to perform Noel Coward at Le Salon at Claire's Kitchen on the 23rd and 24th of February and to talk about his extraordinary career at the State Library on the 27th. I am so pleased to welcome our guest to talk a little bit about his career and what he's doing now. Welcome to Stages, Tim McHugh. Well, thank you, Regina. I do have a penchant for the enfant. <laughs> so before we jump into this performance and what you're doing in Sydney and what you're doing now, because I know you're writing your autobiography as well. Yeah. I know you started as a child actor. Yes, I was a child star and now I'm a cabaret monster. (laughs) Yes, I started on television in glorious black and white with Jamie Redfern, Deborah Byrne, Ernie Sigley back in the 1960s. I was on TV for four years as a child. It was a wonderful grounding in the business. It was a much simpler time. It was a great thing to to have that opportunity and that show continued for something like 10 years. I started to grow a Frida Kahlo moustache, so they asked me to leave. (laughs) Not quite the look they were after, I see. No, no, I'm no longer a junior. My mother was inconsolable. I told her, Mother, I can't be a child forever. (laughs) I felt like baby Jane. (laughs) When you hear about child actors, often they don't survive. And they don't continue. So how did you, like, come out of TV and then, you know, manage? I've had a few close calls, I must say. (laughs) But I came out of television world and then I continued my studies at school. I then realised I was in love with a boy at school and wrote him all these love letters, which I brought to school, and, um, and the principal found them and I was... I was shock horror. My parents were called in. Your son's a homosexual. And without any consultation with me, I was given shock treatment at a Catholic hospital. Are you kidding? No, it was like the dark ages. Uh, Needless to say, it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Then I decided to return the favour and gave them shock treatment (laughs) in the form of anarchic cabaret. So the gay cabaret activist was born. So I I didn't continue with mainstream theatre. I had a mission. The die was set from that point on that I would be the cabaret anarchist. I knew that I was going to have to fight for my gay identity. So a lot of my material was around that issue, but always using humour, as humour is a great way to get information across. So in those early years, I teamed up with various accompanists, including Louis Nara and Sarah Dion, your wonderful um, Louis and Sarah in Sydney. 
And we started to do cabaret shows at the Flying Trapeze, which was a wonderful uh, sort of alternative theatre restaurant. Some call it the birthplace of Australian comedy and cabaret. Well, certainly was one of them. Where was that? The Flying yeah. Trapeze was in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Oh. It wasn't groovy back then. All the Half the shops were boarded up. <laughs> <laughs> Back in those days, and it was a wonderful venue. Wendy Harm, all sorts of people came through there. David Argue and, and many others. So that was my path. And I also teamed up with the punk scene. The punk scene was very welcoming, you know, to this alternative iconoclast and welcomed me in. And it was a wonderful setting for Magda's anarchic shows. So we supported people like the Chosen Few, Paul Kelly and the Dots, and also Nick mm. Kane. So I was quite a, a featured artist in the punk scene for a number of years. And so, yes, that was my other world. There was the cabaret world and the punk scene and also the art world where we did some of the first performance art pieces in art galleries here in Australia. Like what? What kind of things did you do? Back in 1978, we did a wonderful, or I say we, I, um, <laughs> <laughs> the many yous. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We can use pronouns now, can't we? We. <laughs> and uh, a very memorable uh, event was <clears throat> the Ladies Who Lunch, which was performed in an art gallery in Collins Street. So there I was in drag, uh, and my name was Magda Gavonchi Gavot. And I was having luncheon with my friend Daphne. It was a gallery. We mocked up the window to look like a restaurant, which we called Two Fannies. <laughs> and it was a social, political, fashion satire. And so commenting on, uh, on, on, on the politics of the day, of, upon people like Mary Whitehouse and Fred Nile, and of course my all-time favourite, the Catholic Church. And um, what was one of the little ditties? How much is that drag queen in the window? Poof, poof. The one with the waggly tail. How much is that drag queen in the window? Poof, poof. I do hope that drag queen's for sale. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> it was great fun. And um, so we stopped traffic, literally. People were sort of in, you know, crowding around the shop window front. This is 1978, during gay cabaret in the middle of the city for a whole week at lunchtime, you know, satirising and lampooning the, the right-wing campaigners of that time and various other uh, sort of um, people. Very anarchic, but also great fun. I think you can be serious and have fun at the same time. I think you need that. You need to have that balance. So that was a very special uh, week of performances. You know, 78, there I was out on the streets, out of the bars and onto the streets and uh, fighting for equality and, and um, targeting the moral crusaders of our time. So what? how would contemporary cabaret have changed at that time? What was it coming from? Well, we were like the pioneers. Yeah. It wasn't a cabaret culture whatsoever. No, okay. There was no Mardi Gras, there was no Midsummer, no Melbourne Festival, Sydney Festival, no Fringe, there was nothing. We were the festival. Mm. <laughs> you know, we were, we were the ones creating the culture, planting those seeds and now we have the wonderful culture we see today because of those those early years of creating these uh, these new uh, new and old art forms, uh, which has burgeoned into the cultures that we have today, the cabaret festivals, the fringe mm. festivals. But there was none of that when we were performing. It wasn't a time for the Australian voice as well on theatre, like in just, just traditional theatre of embracing the Australian 
vernacular and must have been a really fertile time for change. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we had uh, the women's movement, the gay liberation movement worldwide was finding its voice. So it was a huge time of change. Mm. You know, we had uh, Gough Whitlam in power. It was fantastic. Mm. Everything was changing. So we were there at the zeitgeist, you know, sort of as a part of this wonderful tsunami of change that was welling up all around the world. And I know when we went to Europe, we were very much a part of the the German and the Dutch uh, gay political uh, scene uh, over there and we're, we're very much involved in that. So it was a global thing. The world was changing and it was an extraordinary as a young man to be a part of it. That Those early years were so important and it's wonderful to see today that the seeds that we all planted, you know, have, have grown into these wonderful cultural art forms now. And of course, you know, before us, there were, there were the seed planters before us, you know, so yes. every generation has its seed planters. Were your parents kind of liberal thinking in that way? Like, or... I came from an, uh, a working class Irish, Italian, Catholic family. Mm. So they weren't uh, very well educated. They were wonderful parents they had very conservative views so me coming out well as I say I never came out because I never was in (laughs) was that okay with them well it had to be didn't it my mother was quite a beaut in her youth and she used to model for this haute couture establishment in Collins Street and uh, and she had the most wonderful ball gowns of course a gold mine for a gay son oh yeah (laughs) started to commandeer all her evening gowns and then one night she came into the dining room and saw me dressed up in her furs and her evening gowns, you know, on my way out to a party. You can't dress like that. That's my dress. Take it off. Don't it look lovely, Mum? You could be put in jail for impersonating a woman. I'm not impersonating a woman, Mum. I'm going out as you. <laughs> my father chased me down the street once, yelling out, Pofta, Pofta. <laughs> wow. And it was really quite scary and... Uh, Anyway, it was like a Keystone Cops um, uh, a scene with him running after me in his pyjamas, but his gym jams kept falling down. And uh, anyway, he got on he got on the bus with the policeman and said, you've got to arrest these two. They're, they're homosexuals. <laughs> no, no, you've had a few, a few too many to drink, Pat. You know, go home. Anyway, and then I came home two days later and my father knelt at my bed and sobbed and said, I don't understand. Forgive me. I don't understand. Oh. Uh, so it was a very, um, yeah, a crucible, you know. Growing up gay in those years was very tough in many ways. Like you said, you could have been jailed. Well, that's right. It was still a criminal offence yeah. until the early 80s, I think 81 or 82. It was a real shock to them. She said, we never had homosexuals in our day. I said, no, they were just too scared to come out. <laughs> Sounds like a real mix of everything at the time. It's a it was great shaking mix it. of everything. And, yeah. you know, I started on television and then I went into the alternative sort of music theatre scene. So did you train? Of course. And I yes. trained as I've been I trained as a child. We had uh, vocal training at the age of eight. I was having singing lessons and, mm. and dancing lessons. And um, so, yes, we had uh, quite quite um, rigorous training as youngsters and, and as an adult as well. I studied opera at uh, Melbourne, Melbourne State College but decided not to become a teacher. Uh, I had the performing bug again after jamming with Wendy Savington in my mother's wedding dress. Oh. <laughs> I thought, this is the life for me. I've got to be free. I couldn't be a teacher. But anyway, so it's like a very long bow going from Child star to cabaret monster to Noel Coward. So it's like, mm. you know, and I've sort of 
come to this more traditional form and it suits my more mellow years. I mean, Coward was one of the most witty uh, yeah. playwrights and, and composers of his, of his time. And I've been performing Coward now for 15 years, both here around Australia and also uh, in New York and, 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 and Shanghai. And um, so it's been a very colourful journey with Mr Coward. He's a very um. He started as a child actor as well, right? He did. There's there's a there's quite an interesting parallel. He started. He was from a. He, he calls it. He came from genteel poverty, and uh, so we both started on the stage about eight years old. And so there's a there's a lovely parallel there between the both of us, starting from humble beginnings. And uh, uh, he became the the great Noel Coward, of course. His family were very supportive of him with all of that and very accepting of his homosexuality. It was just accepted. He's always been an idol of mine. Even in those early years, I would do the odd Noel Coward song. And we got two calls from two different agents on the same day. To get a call from one agent would be a miracle, but two is unheard of, offering me this Noel Coward gig at this posh gentleman's club in Melbourne. So that was the beginning of the the Coward show. Uh, And um, it's been a a real honour and a a privilege to perform his material. And as I say, you know, um, it's a scandalous lie. I never died at all. I've simply been on ice with my martinis. (laughs) I was going to say, what is your favourite Noel Coward quote? (laughs) Um, Must be many. I can take any amount of criticism so long as it is unqualified praise. <laughs> I love that. Well, I know Coward and I have a very similar attitude towards critics. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the show that you're doing in Sydney? Yes, we're doing Timiku Toast's Noel Coward at Claire's Kitchen. It's our dinner show. So it's uh, a journey from the 20s through the war years to Noel Coward in Las Vegas. So it's a, it traces his time through the 20s and 30s through the war and into the 50s and 60s. So it's a time capsule of Coward's life as, as, a, as, a, as a composer and, and a playwright and an international celebrity. I mean, when celebrity, you really did have to be talented to be one. <laughs> yeah. But as Mr. Coward says, would someone please send an assassin to Kim Kardashian? <laughs> that, that's very naughty, Mr. Coward. I would never say that. And, um, <laughs> Do a little rewriting, and I'm rewriting okay. the show in Sydney as well. So what do you do? Do you just, just keep it fresh for you? It keeps it fresh, yeah. you know, because each show is, yes, I've rewritten the show dozens of times, and often it doesn't take a lot of rewriting. It's just changing the dialogue here and there, changing the references within the songs, just a little touch, and it also makes it specific to the place and the event that you're doing. So perhaps I shall be singing, Mad dogs and transvestites go out in the midday sun. The Chinese wouldn't dare to. The Japanese don't care to. (laughs) (laughs) I think the drag queens, I've got a number of drag queens, famous drag queen friends in Sydney. Um, Cindy Pastel and 3D. And yes, it'll be wonderful catching up with them. Coward was like shocking for his time. Mm. You know, in 1924, he was catapulted to instant fame and fortune with his scandalous play called The Vortex, and which was about a nymphomaniac mother and her drug-addicted son. Why could be set in the seedier parts of Double Bay today? Indeed. And there are seedy parts. <laughs> I know there are in Double Bay. <laughs> They're all just behind closed doors. Um, <laughs> That's right. So it's... um. It it's sounds wonderful. like you've had lots of fun. 
Oh, and that, that is the prime directive, Regina. Have fun, inform, entertain, and and celebrate good music and 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 or great music and 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 wonderful wit and humour. So it's a tonic as much as much for me as it is for the audience. But like you said earlier, when you were describing the first sort of work that you were, the 1978 show, the social political kind of, you're commenting as well on... Of course. And that is the, the European cabaret tradition. Mm. Um, I know when we were performing in Berlin, we had people flocking to our shows saying, we haven't seen this sort of cabaret very often, and which was very humbling. I felt very honoured. Uh, Berlin was extraordinary. We performed at this giant circus tent, slapdab next to the Berlin Wall, and it was called the Gay All-Stars International Festival. I came out on the back, truly, I came out on the back of an elephant in, a, in my mermaid's costume, oh, God. Uh, singing West of the Wall. <laughs> well, my, my mermaid's costume was for my Harold Holt show, because this is a, a show I was <laughs> doing right. about, the, about the disappearance of Harold Holt. Yes. He didn't disappear. Tuna full Serena, tuna full Serena. <laughs> She rescued him. Anyway, so, of course, the Dutch didn't know what I was freaking talking about. And uh, <laughs> so, anyway, but I kept it falling off the elephant, so I had to hold on to its ears. And I just gave up, and I thought, I'll just waddle on stage. Oh, my <laughs> but, God. Um, but it was a it was a wonderful moment. And, um, <laughs> and, and performing and, and through all the venues, well, many of the... Many of the venues in Berlin, wonderful venues. I remember this punk venue Excess, where I, where I came out as marauding Magda, and it was full of punks and 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 queers and queer punks and all alternative, the alternative underground of Berlin. And um, uh, our fame had spread far and wide. They called us Tim und David, gay kangaroos. So oh, Tim no. and David, gay kangaroos. I would hop on stage like a kangaroo, <laughs> and um, and in the middle of the show, I'm walking through the audience singing Heartbreak Hotel, and this sort of almost Tibetan throat singing voice came gurgled <laughs> up through the darkness. It was Nina Hagen. Oh wow! So Nina Hagen jammed with me on on the Heartbreak Hotel. She said, oh. "You're crazy. You're crazy." I said. <laughs> Coming from you, that's a great compliment. <laughs> Only way to be. Uh, uh, yeah, so it's been, uh, you know, from, from you know, from Nick Cave to Noel Cave, it's been mm. quite a long bow. And look, mm. I enjoy all forms of music. As long as it's good music, it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's worthy. And you and, bought out a CD, right? Have you... Yeah, well, I've got two CDs. I put two out the, the Lazarus CD, which yes. was released back in uh, 2002. And... Um, that was after I had my heart attack and died. I was brought back to life oh, and um, I decided to call my CD Lazarus and um, mostly original songs um, yeah. and, uh, yes, songs about, um, well, I wrote a song about my heart attack called Don't Lose Heart. <laughs> <laughs> a little heart stopper of a show, Regina. <laughs> Oh, too. Look, I can't wait to hear your. See, so you're working on an autobiography as yes, well yes, at the moment. Yes, thou shalt not, and so I did. Yes. And uh, so this is the talk I'm doing at, at State, the Library State Library. Yes. Is based on the book, so the book okay. will be out released later this year. We hope. Such an interesting life. Yes, it's um, yeah, it writing about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, I don't think you can leave anything out. And um, people say, oh, you can't mention that. I said, why not? It happened. And um, and, um, well, one of the more, uh, I suppose, extreme events is when I took gay cabaret to China. 
they billed me as Mardi Gras comes to China. <laughs> and I, ha- the, I thought, the one man of I haven't Mardi got Gras. a big enough costume for this. So I, I, I got a, a Chinese opera costume to, co- to make my entrance and coming out singing as the Dowager Empress of China singing my way. God. And now I face the Iron Curtain. How did that go down? <laughs> I feel like I feel yes, I'm I'm sort of uh, yes, I'm a bit naughty. And telling them one day they have their own Mardi Gras through the streets of Shanghai, that the authorities found out about this and were, were looking for me. And um, thankfully they didn't catch me. Live uh, <laughs> to tell the tale. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Year of the Tiger, and I came out in my tiger suit. You know, with my paws going meow, 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 meow. Genius. <laughs> so I thought, oh, good, I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Tim McHugh, it has been such a pleasure to have you join me. Uh, thank you. I love being had. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're looking for the Claire's Kitchen event will be a, a beautiful evening with Coward and with wonderful Coward songs popular and, and from the back cloth of Coward's catalogue. So a, a dinner and show. So all you lovely people out there who love Noel Coward, we'd love to see you in the audience. And the library event is is uh, is, is also going to be a very special event. Indeed. Oh, Tim McHugh, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, yes, come one, come all, be there or be square. And Sydney, I'm going to eat you up. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Backstage. I'm Regina Botros. 